Uh, we're going to be digging into chapter 12 again. This is, this is probably one of my favorite uh, sections of Scripture, one I go back to again and again and again. And uh, so let me pray, and then, and then we'll just kind of introduce it. Lord, as we begin today, I just want to start by um, lifting up again this morning our, our president, um, people around him, um, Melania, other leaders in this country who uh, have contracted COVID, a reminder of the day that we're in. Lord, you are, you are the one who holds our lives in your hands, and we trust you. We come more and more to recognize just the importance of leaders who will protect the rights that we have to join together in worship. And I don't think any of us in this room have any illusions whatsoever. Uh, we are under fire. We are under fire. And I, I truly believe as time progresses more and more so, uh, the privileges that we've had under fire. So what do we do? We, we ask that you uh, watch over and bring health back to, restore health to um, our president and those uh, around him. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to introduce chapter 12 to you um, <clears throat> this way with just two words. <clears throat> and the words are if, then, if, then. So if, then clauses uh, are something that we've become pretty used to in our lives. Uh, they work no matter the discipline that we're part of. So we would say it like this. If, if you are a coach and you stand in front of cameras and you say, we demand to play football. We do not want to sit on the sideline. If you do that, then you will play Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State back-to-back. -back. Congratulations, right? If-then clauses are part of every, every aspect of our life. Um, up to this point, we've watched Paul through uh, Romans uh, 9, 10 and 11 particularly, making a case against an argument that has been lodged against the early Christians. Mustafa here was the argument. The argument was, you Christians, you Christians are illegitimate because you have uh, thrown the law out, despised the temple, and you don't recognize that Israel, Israel are the called people of God. And so Paul, wherever he went, is, is under attack, right? Uh, no matter what city he goes into, he's under attack. And in particular, he's under attack through the Jewish leaders. The Sanhedrin are orchestrating that attack. What Paul's been doing is making a case. He's asking the question, well, really, who is Israel? Does, when the Bible talks about Israel, is it simply talking about a group of people with a physical bloodline that goes back to Abraham? Or is Israel something else? And uh, what Paul has suggested is, no, Israel is not just a physical group of people. It is a spiritual body of people. Namely, all of those who accept Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, as the one who the prophets spoke to, uh, who, who was promised in the garden. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the one who gave, gives his life as a sacrifice, then you are Israel. I.e., he's suggesting to the church in Rome, 
whether you're Gentile or Jewish. To be Israel means to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. So if that's true, if, if we are Israel, and think about Paul speaking into the church at this time, the question becomes then, how do we live? How do we, as, uh, as Israel, live out this calling that God has given to us? And, and Romans chapter 12, I think, uh, provides an answer to that question. And, and, and not just uh, looking back historically at the church in Paul's time, but I think looking at the church today, looking at your life and my life, what does it mean for us to be that body of people that God uh, has positioned in this time, in this place, to bring the gospel uh, to the world? Uh, so I'm going to walk through Romans 12 underneath this if-then if then proposition. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that as you listen to the words uh, Paul gives us, you can almost make a list of things that represent what it means for you and I to live as the church. Let's start verse number one. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. There's the if-then. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. There's a lot packed in there. The first thing that he says to them is, I'm making a, an appeal to your calling. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to the fact that as Israel, you are a called out, set aside body of people who've been placed into the world to live in a counter-cultural way. Um, I think we, we sometimes have trouble recognizing that because we grow up in a culture who teaches us from the time that we're little to this very moment that life is about what? It's about me. Right? Um, when you grow up in America, you grow up under the idea, right, that you determine your destiny. You, you uh, kind of set the course for your life. Uh, when kids get into school, we use that kind of language with them, right? We say, hey, who do you, what do you want to be? Uh, what are your dreams? Uh, what are your goals for life? And uh, for Israel, all of that language is foreign. It doesn't even begin to make sense. Why? Because when God calls you, you no longer belong to yourself. You literally belong to Him. And God takes you as His possession and sets you aside for His purposes. And so as we go throughout the New Testament, we hear Paul using language that we listen to, but we kind of process through Western a Western mindset. Paul will say, say some, something like this. He'll say, uh, I, I, I do not, I am no longer my, my own, but I belong to Jesus Christ. He calls himself a slave. I'm a slave. In other words, do I own me? Slaves don't own themselves. Slaves are owned by someone. And so what Paul is saying by calling himself the, the slave of Jesus Christ, he's saying, I was bought with a pretty steep price. Jesus Christ paid, paid his blood for me. And as a result, I, I no longer choose to live this life uh, in a way that, that is about my goals or, or my dreams or my passions. What I want to do is I want to pull back and say, okay, God, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. 
I want to live in a way that reflects the fact that I don't belong to myself, but I'm owned by Jesus Christ to be used by Him. How does He want to use you? How does He want to use you? Always remember this. The Bible is not hard. We try to make it hard, but it's not. It's about a God who has just one single thing on His mind. And that one thing is souls. How do I bring the next soul into eternity to spend life forever with me on new earth? Um, see, when I talk to kids, I'll ask them, why, why do you think God put us here in the world? And a lot of times I'll get answers like this. Well, God, God wants us to, to enjoy the world that He's created. God, God put me here to, to just have, He wants me to be happy. Happiness is God's end. I'm like, really, do you believe that? Yeah, God wants, God's here to make me happy. Um, so much so that a number of years ago, uh, a group did a study amongst uh, young adults, and uh, the result of their study uh, determined that a lot of our young people, the way they look at God is they look at Him through a therapeutic, a therapeutic lens. That, that God is this great therapy giver in the sky. And when I break or things go bad in my life, God's supposed to fix them and make them right so that I can have happiness uh, in, in this world. I'll challenge anyone to find the word happiness in the Bible. It's not there. Joy is there. Uh, but the word happiness is not. And the two are significantly different. Happiness tends to be what? An emotion that's about me. Joy is not an emotion, but it's rather a, 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 a given fact. Uh, it's built upon what Jesus Christ has done. It's about a promise that God has made. I will be your God no matter what. You can have joy if you're in prison. You can have joy if people are trying to kill you. You can have joy if people, if you, if, if you're, if you, have, can, you have cancer and you're battling, you can have joy. Why? Because I have a promise of God. And here's what I know. This whole world is broken, way broken. Um, I learned a new phrase this week because I'm reading a, a fascinating book. Bill O'Reilly, I don't know if any, any of you read some of his history books. So his latest book is, is uh, uh, called Killing Crazy Horse. And uh, it's, it kind of takes you back into the 1800s, turn of the century, some of the battles going on between um, the Spanish, uh, the whites, and, and Indians who, you know, kind of ruled this, this world. I had no idea that, that Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson eventually, was such a, I hope I can use this term all right here. It's a badass. If I can just put it mildly. You guys know that he walked around with two lead balls stuck in his body? The first one he got, he got from a, uh, a shooting match. They had those back then. Uh, he was in a battle with some guy and challenged him to a duel and then came out and the first guy took his gun, shot him, hit him right beside the heart. Andrew Jackson jolted back. Everybody thought he'd go down. He didn't. Instead, he just took his gun, aimed it carefully, and shot the other guy, took him out. And uh, lived the rest of his life with that, that ball lodged right by his heart. Doctors told him, if we take it out, it'll kill you. He also had another, another incident where he was 
shot in his leg and uh, from, from behind by a guy who was uh, uh, trying to help his dad out, uh, who, who Andrew was trying to, to put the end to. And he lived with that in his, his leg. Uh, but one of my favorite new phrases from this book is, he's laying down and he's supposed to be leading this, this, this army. And one of his men says, well, um, General Jackson, he's not going to be able to, to lead us. And the general hears that on his bed, sits up and says, the devil, the devil in hell, I won't lead him. And he jumps up and he says, here we go, right? Um, now I'm almost going to forget what I was, how I was going to use, <laughs> I was going to use that, uh, that, that phrase. But, you know, and when we talk about what it means to belong to, belong to Jesus Christ, uh, there, here's what I was thinking about. There, there's, there's, a, there's a devil in hell that really wants you to believe that this world was made for you to be happy. The reality is it's broken. Every aspect of it is broken. And if you pay attention, you'll see it all around you. The world is crying out. Remember Romans 8, and it's shouting, let the end come, because guess what? We are not made to live here. Nor are we made to live in heaven. I'm not sure how we got that wrong, but we did. Oh, we'll go to heaven when we die. Our physical bodies will stop. Your heart will stop beating. Your brain will stop functioning. Your soul will go to heaven. What is heaven? Well, the Bible describes heaven as that place where we're in the presence of God Himself. Well, we recognize each other in heaven. We're only souls. There's no bodies in heaven. Right? Our bodies are here, left behind. Will we recognize one another? Well, read the New Testament. There seems to be indication that we will kind of look at each other and say, hey, there's a nice looking soul right over there. We'll recognize one another. How? I have absolutely no idea. But the souls seem to have recognition of one another. What are they doing? Well, every funeral I've ever gone to, the pastor goes up front, he says something like this, old, old Dennis is gone now, but he's in heaven. And he's really living it up in heaven. I mean, he's got 50, he's got seats on the 50-yard line. He's watching those corn huskers. <laughs> Wendy's bringing him his favorite meal every, I mean, <laughs> that ain't happening, Dr. Wendy says, that ain't happening, yeah. would be um, <laughs> We got golf courses, we got swimming, we got all, I'm telling you, guess what? They're not, they're not in the book. Read the book. You know what you have in, in heaven? This sounds a little bit strange, but there, there is, in a sense, there is, is in, in a very real sense, there is a pasca, a passion, going on in heaven. Um, I'm not going to call it pain because it's not pain, but in a very real sense, there's a there's there's a, a a painful recognition on the part of every soul in heaven that I am not where I'm supposed to be, and the world is not as it should be. And we need, we need what God has had planned from the beginning of time. We need it all to get restored. And so when you see the souls of the martyrs under the altar in heaven, what are they praying for? The return of Jesus Christ. 
And what happens at the return of Jesus Christ? First Thessalonians number 4 says we are caught up into heaven, right? With those who have died before us. If you're alive, you'll be caught up on, in heaven. With those who, who have died, they go first. And when you are in the air, caught up in the air, uh, the prophets describe it beautifully. This world, the way that it is today, is destroyed in an instant. Rolled up and burned like a scroll, the prophets would say. You'll witness that. You'll watch that happen. All of us will. We'll see this world, because it is so broken, destroyed in an instant, and a new world made. And we then accompany our, our groom. We, the bride, accompany our groom as the kingdom of heaven comes down onto that new earth. And Revelation teaches us that he shall be our light and he shall be present on this new earth, and we are made to live with new bodies, read 1 Corinthians 15, on the new earth forever. You know what that does for me? It changes everything. I don't belong to me. I belong to him. He's got a plan. His plan is to take this broken world that we live in and destroy it in an instant, and to recreate a new world. And guess what? He wants you on it. He wants you on it. Every single person that I look at is a soul. And Jesus Christ is saying, I want you with me. I made you for myself. I want you for myself. Listen to me. God has only one thing on his mind. 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. That one thing is, how will I bring this soul who, who believes in Islam and doesn't, doesn't, doesn't trust Jesus Christ, how do I bring them to myself? How do I take this soul who's got enormous popularity on earth, and they, they make movies and, and millions of dollars and everybody worships them, but they, they have no faith. How do I help that person? And what God is doing is He's saying, here's how I'm going to do it. Israel, I'm going to set aside that body of people who trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. I'm going to set them aside and I want to use each one of you to reach this person and this person and this person and this person for, for what? For eternity. Because that's the story that we live under. And when you know that story, it changes everything. Paul is saying to the church, I appeal to your calling. You're set aside. So let me ask you a really interesting question. This is not meant to be judgmental not meant to be judgmental. But I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to really process it inside of yourself and be honest with yourself. If, if you could journal out the last seven days of your life. I mean, just take a journal. And I want you to take it day by day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How much of your life how much of your time did you spend living out a calling that is about one thing? Rescuing another soul for eternity. How much of it? How much of the last seven days did you spend under a different calling? The call of the world. To come engage in this and to come do this and to come spend your money here and to, and to come, come give this. How much of it? And what you recognize immediately is that even the first words of Romans chapter 12 are significant. They are, they are a servant of God, a man who called himself, 
called himself a, a slave. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ, saying to you and I, the best way to live is to live as one who knows who owns us and who's made us for eternity. And to think about how do I live in a way then that reflects the calling that God has set, set for my life. That's the first word. Second word, exceedingly important because without it, what you just thought in your mind about your last seven days are going to be hard. But here's the word. I appeal you to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. We live out our calling under mercy. Okay, never forget this. Um, the, the, why, why am I able to have joy in Jesus Christ? Because I know what kind of a God He is. He is a what? A God of mercy. Um, honestly, if, if I'm a pastor, right? Somebody's like, you're a pastor, so you must spend all of your time uh, trying to, you know, rescue people from darkness and bring them into light. You must spend all of your time trying to bring the gospel to people. I'm like, no, let me just tell you about my last seven days. <laughs> especially the pastor of a church because churches run like institutions, right? As organizations with needs. And so you have all kinds of things coming at you. And, and over the course of seven, seven days, I can look at all of those things and say to myself, wow, how, Lord, I failed. Really, I, I could say that, honestly. Luke, how'd you do your last seven days? You got this calling. Um... On a scale of A to F, maybe an F minus. Maybe an F minus. I think I flunked. And I would be honest in saying that. Were there times in this last seven days when I could say, yeah, that, that, that's about the calling God has given me. Yeah, there were some times. But I failed. What I do is I come under the same thing you come under. The mercy of God. Uh, I appeal to you, brothers, according to the mercies of Jesus Christ. Always remember this. Religions put you under the law, right? If I'm Islamic, what am I under always? The law. You are not performing the way that Allah has called you to. Uh, you, you are not calling upon the name of Muhammad the way that you should call upon the name of Muhammad. You're under the law. As Christians, we are always under what? The cross. Under grace. And so when Paul starts this out, there's a very serious note. I'm going I'm to be talking to you about your calling, but we're going to do that under grace. And so live under that grace. Um, I'm getting ready for a new week. I don't know about you, but for me, Sunday is my highlight. I love coming together to, to spend time with you, to spend time with the body of Christ is a joy to me uh, like none other. But to, trust me, I'm looking at the next seven days, and some of the questions I'm asking about each and every day uh, is, how, how, how can I possibly not repeat last week? Right? Now, who knows what will happen this week, but uh, Lord, could, is there some way that you can help? I need help, God, to just stay focused on what it is you've called me to do and be. But I don't, I don't live under the law. You don't say to yourself, oh, man, I failed and therefore God is going to, to abandon me. No. God says, no, I'm, I'm here to walk with you. And so Paul is making this appeal under the mercies of God and he's calling then us to do what? To present our bodies as living sacrifices. 
He says, I want you to live sacrificially. Live sacrificially. What does that mean to you? This calling of God to live sacrificially. It probably has a number of different things that it connotates in your mind. Uh, I'm going to use one as an example. <clears throat> and then because my buzzer went off, we'll start getting ready to close out for today. Um, when, when, when our kids were little, um, we, we tried to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to understand who we are as a family. We, we live under this calling of God. So we have to make sure that we boundary our life in a way that allows God to work through us. What that's going to mean is, under the mercies of God, we're going to make some decisions about what we are and we are not going to do, what we are and we are not going to give to, what we are and we are not going to be a part of. Um, I can remember my son coming to me and saying things like this. Dad, um, there's this uh, soccer club that, that's, that's got a, they, they really, it's kind of a cool soccer club. And if you want to play soccer, you've got to get in that, you've got to get in that, that club. And I want to get in that club. Son, you're in basketball. Yeah, I know. I'm, I got the basketball, but then I want to be in this, this club over here. Uh, I would always do this. One. You get to pick one. Well, that's not fair. All of my friends, they, they get to do this, and they get to do this, and they get to do this. I'd say, yep, just one. And I'd say, you know what? Here's my job as, as, as dad. My job. And God gave it to me. Is to absolutely make sure that this family stays focused on what it means to live out our calling. And here, here, here's the reality is, it it's means sacrifices. It means that we're going to say yes to some things, and we're going to boundary and say no to some other things. And, and there, there were times when my son and my daughter did not like me at all. And you know what I said to them? I understand that. And there's going to come a time when you're a mom, and you're a dad. And you're going to have kids. And you have to decide, how am I going to live? And you have to decide, am I going to live, as, a, as, as our family going to live as a family? This is, we're going to live under the calling of God, or are you going to, are you going to succumb to the call of the world? Because it's easy to do. But if you choose to live under the calling of God, it will require sacrifice. It will mean you boundary your life. You say yes to the things that, that, that support that calling. You say no to the things that stand in the way of that. And uh, I will tell you that this word is a painful word. It is. It's not easy to do. And yet what is Romans 12 saying to us? He's saying, okay, we're, we're the ones, you and I, Grand Island, Nebraska. Do you know how many people are outside of faith in Grand Island, Nebraska? I can guarantee you thousands. How will they ever be reached unless we come before God and we say, you know what, we're going to start living differently. I, I'm going to take this calling God's placed on me seriously. Under the mercy of God, under grace, I'm going to start thinking about it. What do I say yes to this week? What do I say no to? What are the boundaries I need to put in place as a mom, as a dad, in order to make sure that our family is not swept up into this world, but is focused upon the call that God has given to us. Romans 12. If we are Israel, then how shall we live? Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, close out, we'll continue this journey. These are just powerful words that kind of get into us and challenge us immensely. 
I know we are stuck in a world that's calling us all the time out of our calling and into things that will trap us and that will sometimes destroy us or, or at minimum, Lord, lead us to places that cannot fulfill us. God, help us to think about what it means to be homes that are centered in a calling that's about a new world yet to come. That's about souls that don't know you. And it's about the, the roles that you have given us to play in pursuing those souls. Be with us in the week ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. We'll continue Romans 12 next week. <laughs>